Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Tomorrow, we'll have college football. Real live college football with teams we care about. Utah will be playing Weber State. Also at the same time, if you're looking for somewhere to channel surf during commercial breaks, I would suggest Boise State and Central Florida. UCF and uh, Boise State are open this season. The mega showdown for a group of five teams. So that ought to be a good game. And for Utah State and BYU fans, well, there you go. That's one of your opponents right there in the Broncos. And they got a new coaching staff, obviously. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. It'll be fun tomorrow. The big news yesterday was that Kalani Sataki got a contract extension through 2025. Now, BYU is a private school, so there are all types of questions that aren't answered. You know, at a public school, you can use the Freedom of Information Act. You can find out how much money is guaranteed, how small or big are the buyouts, um, did he get pay bumps along the way? You know, there, there are plenty of questions to, uh, to ask and answer. But it's a private school, so you can't do Freedom of Information Act. You reserve that for the state universities and the public schools. So we'll just have to leave those questions unanswered for now. Maybe something will come out later, but it'll take time. Right now, let's focus on the games at hand. And for BYU, they had media availability. Utah did not. Normally, they would on a Tuesday. But because they have a Thursday game, they shut everything down. But the Cougars, with the Saturday game, did have media availability. Defensive quarter coordinator Elisa Tuiaki speaking with the media about the Cougars and the Wildcats. That practice was good. You know, obviously just uh, continuing to prep for uh, Arizona. Um, you know, just uh, we've, we had a little bit of a crossover with the offense as well, just to kind of get some good on good work. And um, at least from a coach's perspective, before watching film, just uh, everything's looking Looking like uh, it's headed in the right direction, so we're excited about that. We're keeping everybody pretty healthy, getting some guys back that have been dinged up and should have a, a pretty good roster going into the game. Take any questions? Sean Walker. Say that again. Co- Coach, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let you get – we'll get to Arizona here shortly, but the big news of the hour, I guess, is things are finally official with Kalani being extended through 2025. Well, uh, can, can you just give us a little bit of, of insight into what that kind of means for Kalani uh, personally and the program and kind of what he's done here to be able to be extended now again, I guess, just a couple of years after yeah, he had another one? That's, that's, it's great news. You know, we, uh, we just got done with practice and just heard about it. And Kalani leaves just a little early on Tuesdays to go and do his, uh, his coach's show. And so we're actually not able to uh, tackle him and, and uh, congratulate him. I and mean, that's just total elation throughout the whole team. The boys were cheering when they heard, um, you know, obviously they, they love him as a head coach. We love him as coaches and no Cougar nation loves him too. And it just uh, means a lot. I know to him uh, for us to have him for, for that long and uh, you know, the administration showing the belief in him and, and the direction that the program's going. So totally, uh, totally excited about that. <clears throat> Jared, do you have a question? Along the same lines, coach, just coaching is such college coaching in college football is such a transient business. And you guys, you guys know that, you know, if, if success doesn't come, then, you know, the, the things might change or, or you might have other opportunities if it does come. What's it like just having that uh, security as far as the head coach goes for, for, you know, a longer period of time as far as being a coordinator? Yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, um, you know, like you, like you said, there's, there's a lot of change that happens when you're not doing well. And there's a lot of change that happens when you're doing well. And so, 
um, you know, to see the, the, the type of season that we had, the administration, um, you know, back up Kalani and the future of this program. And this means a lot uh, for us as coaches that, uh, you know, we're in a, in a pretty good spot, just obviously happy that we've got jobs. And, uh, you know, at least for this year, we want to do a really good job and, and see how things go after. But I think just for the future of the program, for recruiting, for kids to know that, uh, the young kids that are currently in the program, the kids that are being recruited, kids coming off missions that they've got Kalani here is uh, is really important for us and uh, the success of the program moving forward. Let's see, we'll have Mitch and then uh, Jay Drew. Yeah, Lisa, with uh, Arizona, uh, at least according to what their coaches said last week, uh, incorporating a two-quarterback system, what challenges does does that create for the preparation for your defense this week? Um, certainly, you got to make sure that we've got we're we're sound in, in having a, a backup plan and um, contingency plan with with both of the uh, the quarterbacks and just the challenges that they that they bring. Um, you know, just uh, it's uh, we're probably going to have a little bit more scheme involved just because of that, uh, just to make sure that we're ready for them. But that that certainly does uh, you know pose a little bit more of a problem for us just because. Uh, the unknowns always always real difficult to know what you're going to end up doing when things when, when bullets are flying. This is the the first game that you got the BYU has had against a Power Five team since 2019, and I know that there's good football across all levels. You guys played some good teams last year too, but uh, maybe what's what's some of the the differences that go into you know facing a a Power Five team? Is is their their talent much of a difference that you have to? get used to what, what are some of the, the challenges of just a power five opponent? You know, like, like you said, um, there's a lot of good football uh, all across the country. There's some teams that, um, you know, that, that are, that are playing good ball and have good personnel and get, get their kids drafted into the NFL. So there's a lot of good players all over the place. I think with, when you're talking about uh, playing a, uh, you know, playing a, a certain um, caliber of team, it's just, uh, you get, uh, you know, you get, you uh, Bigger offensive linemen, bigger defensive linemen, a little bit more speed on the perimeter. Um, you know, the drop off between the ones, twos, and threes is probably not as not as big as when you're you're seeing other teams. There's the, the drop off between the ones and twos are probably a little bit more. But uh, you know, it's it's there's good ball everywhere. It's really difficult to just say when you're playing a when you're playing a power five team versus somebody who's not. You know, we played a lot of teams last year that I thought were really really good, uh, good sound, great looking teams. You know, one that comes to mind is is uh, UTSA was uh, – I felt like you could have you put UCLA's uniforms on them and you could have been playing, you know, a Pac-12 team. They were – I thought that they were that good as far as just the way their team looked and how physical they were. And so um, it's, it's, it's hard to tell. depends on just which team you're playing and what their personnel is. But I think it's really just the depth is probably the biggest thing that you're looking at with uh, – we're talking about playing a P5 team. Hey, with the depth chart coming out yesterday, we noticed uh, Malik Moore moved into the starting safety spot. What what did he do to earn that spot? And uh, what do you expect out of that safeties group, which uh, has Chaz IU as the other starter? Yeah, c- consistency has been the biggest thing. You know, we've got a lot of guys there that um, have contributed through the years, mostly on special teams. But being able to see somebody who's con- who's consistent, uh, knows the defense, can uh, can make the calls and all the checks and all those things. And Malik's done a really good job. Uh, this camp and shown that uh, uh, you know athletically as well as just uh, mentally he can he can do the job for us. So we're excited to to have him and Chaz there. 
Um, we've got a couple other guys there that are going to be great backups, but Malik is certainly showing that he's uh, earned the job. Thanks. That's all I got. Sean Walker. Coach, if I could go back to the, the, I, I always find it kind of uh, interesting, maybe even a little bit weird when teams like to roll out the, the two quarterback look or the platoon quarterbacks or that kind of thing. You, you talked about how difficult it is to kind of prepare for that and replicate it. And you got to be, have your backup plans and your contingencies and stuff, but you guys have a lot of quarterbacks in the scout in your, your scout team room, I guess, um, just because of the sheer numbers. Does that maybe help? And I'm, trying not to have you give away too much of the game plan, but does that help to be able to kind of replicate sort of the different things that I guess Arizona can do with multiple guys? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, the, the, the quarterbacks that, that the offense has been able to share with us as far as the guys that are, that are playing and traveling and not traveling right now and just the things that they're doing. I mean, they've, they've given us several different looks that have been uh, good for us to kind of prep forward and to, uh, you know, make sure that our game plans are, are sound um, and we've got the right right people in the right spots as far as packages. Let's go, uh, Jared Lloyd, and then Mitch Harper. Coach, uh, yesterday the captains were released. Uh, information about that. Just wanted you to talk about those guys that were elected uh, captains and and part of the leadership council. Yeah, it's uh, I think Kalani mentioned it uh, when he was talking about them, and it's uh, there was there was an obvious um, <clears throat> obvious boat separation be- between the four guys and the rest. But um, I think it just goes to show in the type of team that that uh, we've got here, and the type of team that type t- type of kids that are here in the program is there's so many kids that got a lot of votes, and and so um, you know the the sheer um, you know. I guess it's just the, the factor of leadership that you're getting with all the type of kids that you have here is really, really good. And we've got leaders all across the board. They're kids that, uh, you know, ended up not making the, the, the alternate uh, captains, um, you know, team that the co-captains team that, that uh, still, we still see as guys that are contributors as far as leadership and, and kids that are completely bought into what we're doing. And I think it's just a good sign. And those, those kids all deserve that. Oh, Elisa, yesterday on, on that uh, program you're on with Coordinator's Corner, uh, Ed Lamb noted uh, one of the safeties, Ammon Hanneman, was a guy that uh, uh, surprised in fall camp and was making made a lot of progress, if you will, uh, during camp. I'm, I'm curious for maybe defensive line and linebackers, who were some other individuals that you thought took big strides? Maybe they're not necessarily starters, but they're guys that made big leaps forward in their development during the past month to get ready that can contribute this season. It's the ones that come off the top of my head, Ben Bywater, probably at the backer spots. You, you, you've known of the other guys. I mean, Max, uh, Keenan, and Peyton have, have uh, really been in the limelight. Ben was was hurt, banged up last year, and is coming back. And so he's looking like a, looking like a, a really good player right now. And um, uh, John Nelson and Blake Mangelson are probably the two guys at the D-line spot that don't have any experience or new to it, but are going to be kids that uh, play in this first game and we're going we're gonna to rely on to come in and and help us win. There's the defensive coordinator, Elisa Tuiaki. When we come back, former Ute Frank Dolce, our Ute insider, talking quarterbacks and wide receivers. Who's going to be the guy at wide receiver for Utah? We will get to that coming up with Frank. Stay with us. It's game week for the 
Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. The Cougars hit the road for their season opener in Las Vegas to square off against Arizona. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7.30, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, time to talk Utah football with the former Ute quarterback, Frank Dolce. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. Frank joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. And that's for you who was watering the sidewalks yesterday. You know who you were. Fix it. Frank, good morning. Good morning, DJ. Good morning, TK. I uh, hope you guys are doing well. We are uh, doing DJ. well. Yeah. Yes. DJ, are you... Did you did you uh, did you lose your voice? You sound a little hoarse. Every once in a while, yeah the the uh, the old uh, the old throat just sticks. I don't know what happens. So I, well, it's because me, me, me. you are you use that instrument so often. You need a rest day. <laughs> I do need a rest day. You're right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. PK, do you ever get back to the South Bay? Oh, of course, absolutely. Yeah, in fact, uh, because of Pac-12 Media Day, I go at least once a year, if not oh, multiple yeah. times. I have been uh, since I moved 28 years ago. I've probably been back there 60 times. I mean, my wife's stepmother still lives there. Uh, her father died 30 years ago. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I and this last trip, I bought a T-shirt down in Hermosa that says the South Bay on it. And I wear it proudly, Frank. Proudly. Nice. Oh man, I need to find that shop. I need to get one of those. And a friend of mine uh, yesterday lives down there, and he took a picture. He likes to taunt me. He took a picture from one of the bar restaurants in Hermosa, looking out towards the pier uh, and the water. And of course, it was a bright, sunny day, no smoke or any yeah. of that stuff. And I texted yeah. him. I said, "Yeah, Hermosa always works for me." And why don't you go back and shut up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's, absolutely. He's got pe- he's got people and places scattered, basically from Manhattan to Newport. Yeah, Manhattan my, Beach my to brother, Newport Beach. Yeah, my brother. We grew up in Culver City, but my brother has just moved to Manhattan Beach. Uh, mm. So I'm rich. yeah, I'm feeling the same way. Like a little a little jealous about that circumstance. <laughs> yeah, they don't text you pictures though when they're stuck in traffic because it took them. Uh, Took him an hour and a half to go ten miles. So four hours to get yeah. from. Yeah, I used to drive from my house in Culver City, which is twelve miles, about twelve miles away from El Camino Junior College. And if I got there in an hour, I was doing pretty well. <laughs> How did you end up going to El Camino? Because there's other JCs that you could have gone and played for. Did you? I mean, obviously they had a great football program under Featherstone. Was it the lore of the football program? Well, so so, uh, so Santa Monica Junior College was closer. That would yeah. have been like the, no the more reasonable, I guess, one. But but football wise, Santa Monica wasn't nearly what El Camino was no. at that point. Yeah, and and so I, it's so funny because I happened to be at uh, an awards bank, banquet after my senior year with my head coach in high school, Fred Fuller, was his name. 
And as the banquet was concluding and we were running out, this little guy with, you know, always looks like he's running a thousand miles an hour, comes over and introduces himself and says, Hey, I'm John Featherstone. I'm the head coach at El Camino Junior College. We'd love to have you come and take a look. And that was the start and the end of my recruiting (laughs) (laughs) to El Camino Junior College. I immediately said, yeah, I'd like to go play for that guy. And that was it. Simple. The, 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 the simple, innocent days. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Isn't that the truth? I don't know what in the world would have happened if he said, and we have this name engine like, like this program, and you can do this, and you can do that. I mean, I would have, my mind would have exploded. <laughs> so I'm curious what your number one question is about the youths heading into the opener with Weber State. What do you want to know? I, well, I have. A, I think I have a lot of questions. Um, I, it's probably too simple to say. Is I want to know if the quarterback is is the real deal. Um, but I, but I, but I think that position is so critical for Utah that I, I guess that's I'm I'm most curious about that. I feel like I know everything, or I have a sense of everything else that's it's happening on the offensive side. Like we we. <laughs> We're we we're concerned about the offensive line and who's you know which five are going to be there. I know they named five or six, but but which five are going to be there and which guys are going to work out? And um, I mean, I think there's I'm I'm a little soft on the wide receiver group. I think there's some talent there, but not maybe not the depth of talent that we were hoping for. Love the tight end group, and we're just going to be running back by committee for two or three games until. Until someone emerges, and maybe no one really emerges, but but if you run a two quarterback, a two two running back system, excuse me, then then you know even if you kind of work three guys in there, that's a little more difficult. But you're you'll be okay. So it still comes down to quarterback play for me. If if Utah's going to be really successful on the offensive side, yeah, I agree with everything you said there. I think I I suppose for me. The biggest eyebrow raiser is the offensive line because receivers, it's been the position has been the same for several years now. We're waiting mm-hmm. for some big time guy to emerge, and it really hasn't happened. Doesn't mean they're not good, but we haven't had somebody, uh, Nikhil Harry type player, you throw the ball and he makes a play. So I expect the same there. Tight ends, I'm very, very confident. Running back, uh, I'm. I'm okay with because I knew this is the way it was going to be. Once the Ty Jordan situation happened, it was all right. Who are they going to get in the transfer portal? Because they're going to get guys. They got two guys from two big name schools. They got a junior college transfer and a holdover who didn't get a whole lot of opportunity. So uh, I just have to go on their history. But uh, the offensive line surprises me that on the Monday before the game, Kyle Whittingham is saying we're not sure. I'm wondering, too, Frank, though, if, say, it was, it probably wouldn't be this case, but if you were to open with a conference opponent, would you be a little more sure? Are you a little unsure because it's Weber State and you're expected to win? I think Utah has that luxury of playing Weber State first uh, because, you. Should, I mean, even if Utah's uncertain, unsettled at the offensive line, um, if you're just going kind of talent for talent, you should be able to overcome that. Right. Um, 
because because you should be more talented up front. And so I think you do have that luxury. I think that's an excellent observation of of saying, well, we're just going to, you know, we're going to try out a couple guys. We're going to try out a few guys up front. Uh, on the defensive line, that it's never an issue because Utah rotates like eight guys every year. So we're never concerned about the starters on the defensive line because there's a natural rotation that occurs with that group. But you can't do that with the offensive line. It's It's interesting. Offensive line, it seems like you have to have five settled. And even if you insert one new guy, then you're a little nervous about what's going to happen on the on the next play. Same with the quarterback position. It's just two quarterback system never works. So so it is it is interesting that that's where we are with the offensive line. And and you know as much as I like Coach Harding, and I think as much as Coach Whittingham puts all of his trust in Coach Harding, that's a position group that I think all, a lot of us were hoping would be more settled at this point. Um, under Coach Harding. Like, we would feel like there's a solid five every year with a couple guys who are in the battle for a starting position. And it hasn't materialized the way I think we were hoping it would on the on the offensive front. Is there a receiver you trust to be a breakout guy? I keep thinking. I thought this about linebackers for a long time, and it's finally happened. Hey, linebackers ought to want to play behind that defensive line. And yeah. that's really, you know, over the it's maybe it's evolved a little bit, but it's definitely happened, right? They have upgraded their linebackers over where they were a decade ago. And so I keep thinking no. it's going to happen with wide receiver. Like everybody wants to go somewhere where they can be the guy. Well, go to Utah and be the guy. I mean, everybody throws the ball 25 times a game. If you're the number one receiver, how many times are you going to be targeted? Who cares if they don't throw it 40 times a game? It, you know, you'll get yours. I keep thinking it's going to happen. Obviously, I haven't been right yet, but PK will tell you I'm stubborn. You know, I'll keep banging my head against the wall. Is I this the year? I don't. I don't know that this is the year. I mean, I guess uh, I, I don't. I mean, I don't think that. I think Covey's going to be really good. I don't think he's going to have a breakout year, uh, um, and and maybe set the world on fire. I, I don't know what, exactly what that means. Set the world on fire, but he's going to be good. Um, I think. I think Solomon Enos is a guy that is is super talented, and and maybe if he has an opportunity to catch six, seven, eight balls a game, then then maybe we see something different out of him. I really thought that when Utah got a hold of Darren Carrington, and Carrington had a pretty good year, and he was just I don't I don't know he just was a different guy. Like when you watched him run routes, catch the ball, do things after he caught the ball. You could just tell that this was a different guy in the in the in the Utah receiving core. I thought that maybe there would be this you know Darren Carrington effect, and maybe a couple guys would say, "Hey, look, you know what you're what you're saying, DJ. I can go there and catch 10, 15 balls a game. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get I'm gonna be the I'm gonna be the spotlight in the wide receiver group. That's not a bad thing at Utah." So, uh, but it but it didn't materialize. I I know. I, is it just is it too much to ask that Utah get a CD Lamb every once in a while <laughs> and just have have that guy running around? I mean, my heavens, USC could spare one of their four or five receivers <laughs> going to end up in the in the NFL. Um, so I I don't know. I I I don't see a breakout guy necessarily. I think it's a it's a it's a group that's athletic and has potential, and 
still is the biggest, you know, offensive line wide receiver is still the biggest question mark on the offensive side. All right, Frank, then how much of that is simply reputation as to why they can't get it? Because it seems like they can get everything else. It's a really, it's a really good question. And it's really easy for an opposing coach to recruit against Utah in the wide receiver group because the numbers just don't support Utah doing anything other than being really good up front and running the ball and establishing the run game and then, you know, offsetting it with a, with a decent passing game. Um, and not, not, you know, and when I say a decent passing game, it's like, you know, average type, type of numbers um, that are, that, that wouldn't, wouldn't impress anybody who's trying to, to make the next step to the NFL. So, um, I think it's probably more. I, I'm sure that the coaching staff is out, you know, scraping the dirt to try and find the, the right guy at the wide receiver. But reputation is—it's just a little bit difficult to overcome. I—that's right. Like I feel like Utah needs uh, an, a, another Darren Carrington, another Steve Smith, another Kevin Dyson. But then really, you know, really utilize that guy and highlight that position to, to say, look, yeah, we run the ball, and that's going to be the foundation of our, of our offense. But, um, but look, you can be a star at the, at the wide receiver group. I mean, it's the same, a little bit the same for Stanford. No, no, there's hardly ever a wide receiver that comes out of Stanford because the reputation and the history is, well, we're just going to be really good up front. We have a great tight end or two. And we're going to run the ball. And, right. you know, that's going to be it. And we just need a quarterback who's kind of a game manager. We don't need a superstar. So yeah. reputation, I think, is definitely the, the issue here. Okay, you can say Stanford, but, I mean, Simi Fajoko is on the Wasatch front, and he goes to Stanford and he gets drafted. So, yes, Stanford, but... And three years well, earlier, J.J. Arcega Whiteside got drafted. Yeah, so so even there's, Stanford. There's one I know. You say even Stanford, but there are probably probably other factors at play. I mean, I get it. Uh, Stanford is one of a kind. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to have to go there. I mean, no, it's I'm, true. My, you know, it's, my heart, yeah. hearts with Utah, but 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 I have to be honest. If if one of my kids said, "Hey, Dad," you know. Stanford's offering and and Utah's offering and BYU's offering. Um, what do you think? Well, I mean, you think Stanford? Uh, yeah, that's pretty. <laughs> well, uh, you that's you pretty, think Stanford, or I will kick you out of the house and you will be disinherited immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Come now, on, I'll throw San Diego State in the mix, and then we might have a, you know we might have. An and every kid who gets a, a full scholarship to Stanford, their acceptance rate is low compared to others. But the fa- the number of people who get offered versus the people who accept the scholarship, it's extremely high. Yeah, I so think put them a aside. First, a first in the history of collegiate admissions is ne- is Stanford has a negative admission rate. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> So as far as what they're going to show, basically, against Weber, uh, your offensive coordinator, your Andy Ludwig, 
how much do you put out there in the playbook? Because you've got the cat and mouse game with the next week, and you got you do have a new quarterback. Although everybody has tons of film on him for all those starts in Baylor, but do you hold back a little bit? What do you do there? I think the the, the playbook is thin uh, in terms of variety, uh, but so so yeah. I mean, I guess holding hold back a little bit. But I I also I also think you have to figure out who your running back is or you want to get some better idea who your running back is going to be uh, heading into the Pac-12. And, and so you're going to get a lot of work out of that group, um, you know, 30, 40 carries out of that group. And then, and then you want to see what your quarterback r- really does when the lights turn on. And so I think you're going to give him a lot of throws. I think you're going to give him a lot of opportunities to, to put the ball in the air and to see how he manages pressure and see how he manages different situations. And so I could see um, a little bit of a vanilla offense in terms of variety, but in terms of play calling, balance, run, pass, mix, um, maybe slightly heavy on the run side, only slightly heavy on the run side, and then really try and figure out what you have at the quarterback position by by giving an giving an opportunity there. Go the other way. Show everything in the playbook and make them prep for everything, even stuff you would never run against them. <laughs> Play the mind I, game. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And um, you know Andy Ludwig, and I know Andy Ludwig. That doesn't seem like that's in the Andy Ludwig personality. I mean, I think... To me, he Andy Ludwig is, and one of the great things about him is he is much more methodical, much more analytical, and um, I don't think that he, I don't think he likes to play games. Although I will say this, uh, when when Utah played Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, uh, which was Andy Ludwig's last game and his first stint. Uh, I thought that it was all of a sudden he became a different and like the playbook changed and all of a sudden he became a different, um, slightly different coordinator and they were doing things with the quarterback position of Brian Johnson that they just hadn't done during his, during his time there. So, so he did throw a curveball in that game and, and that certainly was the right formula uh, against uh, coach Saban in Alabama. Well, Frank, we will talk to you again next week. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you every week all year long, talking to you football right here on The Zone. Man, I, I really appreciate it. I love talking to you guys. I just I have one question. If, if we have two seconds, I have one question for, for PK. And, DJ, you can jump in on this as well, because I know PK is a, is a golf guy. But, but I watched that tournament, and I watched DeChambeau, who is difficult to like, tell Cantlay to stop walking or ask Cantlay to stop walking. And I just want your thought. Is that the right thing to do, or is that the biggest, um, well, what, what's the appropriate word for Shambo? I mean, there's lots of them. Was that the, is the it a biggest? sign of weakness, I think, is what you're trying to say. That's a very, that's a very nice way to put it. Yes, nice I know the other thing you're trying to say, and I'm glad you didn't say it. <laughs> yeah. Yach would have had to scramble and hit the dumb button. Everybody would have freaked well, is out. It, is it a compound word? Is the first word chicken? <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> yep. 
The great thing about that is Cantlay was not going to be denied. If I was a gambler, once they went to OT, I would have put DJ's financial report and history all on Cantlay, and that's a substantial amount of money, Frank. Everything, his entire portfolio is the word I'm looking Whoa. for. Well, that's eight. We're talking yeah. like eight figures, right? I mean, that's a big. That's a big. Thing. I don't. I don't so, even want to think about the lack of bladder control I had if I had. Uh, wagered wagered it all on Cantley making one of those putts, which he made them. But man, repeatedly, I would have been, been dying as he lined up another fifteen. Watching Cantley play was watching <laughs> oh, like Kobe or MJ in a shooting zone. He was dialed in mm-hmm. completely, and completely I still I in. don't have a stomach for that kind of thing, and I would have <laughs> lost it. <laughs> Even though okay, it would have been so, the right thing to do, I would have lost it. So was Deshambo right? Or was he just being DeShambo? I think this is the latter is what I would say. Yeah. It didn't come across the right way. I mean, I think there's probably a way that you could say, you know, hey, Patrick, uh, you know, trying to hit over here. Could you <laughs> could you not walk for a second or or some way? But the way what that would Tiger have done? Things, what would Tiger do? I, Tiger he would have won it in regulation. Stepped, he, he would have, <laughs> yeah. He would have won by twelve in regulation. He would have stepped away from the ball, and he would have just looked over his shoulder. Yes, I totally agree. But he would have shot that that laser glare that would like fries an egg on the sidewalk, even when it's yeah. forty degrees out. And he looked, yeah. and then he looked back at his ball. He would have gotten the tunnel vision, and he would have smoked that thing to within you know five feet of the pin, and then probably yeah. shot another death glare over his shoulder. Like you know yeah. better, and you know you know better. Spun the club, maybe walked over to him and said something like, "Hey, did you see that shot? That was pretty good, wasn't it?" You know. <laughs> now stand still, but, comma. <laughs> yeah, no, don't walk around anymore. Frank, we yeah, appreciate yeah. it. Thanks a lot. Absolutely, guys. Talk to you soon. Have a great week. There is Frank Dolce, the former Ute quarterback, joining us all year long. Coming up next, another guy who's going to join us every week all season long, the former BYU wide receiver Dylan Cauley. Will he have a bold prediction about this quarterback, the way he did the last quarterback? That'll be PK's first question, you know. Coming up next, stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes get set for an in-state showdown against Weber State at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Catch the Ute pregame show Thursday at 4, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference. Nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to talk BYU football with Dylan Cauley, former Cougar wide receiver, joining us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret... No secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why the Smart Rain guess or the Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Dylan, good morning. Good morning. How we doing? Good. Are you finally ready for some football game week? Enough of the I mean, uh, analysis and the guessing. An actual game. We are back. We are back, and it feels good. All right, I'm going to do something stupid. I'm going to challenge a colleague. Every time I've done that, I've lost. But I'm going to do it again. Dylan, you made the outrageous prediction about Zach Wilson. The floor is yours about Jaron Hall. 
<laughs> and, and, I, and I feel, I think the bad part is I feel good about this challenge. Uh, <laughs> You're a colleague. <laughs> <laughs> the, the interesting thing is when Jaron had the opportunity to kind of come in and the mindset, the personality, right, is all very, very similar to Zach. Um, but you look at the level of maturity and advancement in Jaron, and obviously, right, a little bit older, um, obviously a, a, a family man in terms of his, his beautiful wife and daughter. Um, Jaron is one of the most athletic people I've ever been around. I mean, that goes without saying. I mean, the guy went and played baseball and had zero problems doing it. Um, you know, the ceiling for him is, is really unknown to everybody, right? How, how good can he be? He's going to be phenomenal. He's going to be extremely good. Um, the only real difference that you have between the two is right. Jaron's just getting a later start. And so how fast does he hit that ceiling is, is kind of unknown, Right, because he has to kind of grow into the potential. Now he gets this opportunity to play a full season as a starting quarterback, and you know, obviously Kalani and, and A Rod have put their full trust in him, and so I think the team trusts him. He's a guy that's been around for a very long time, um, and and has proved that he can be extremely successful. And so, you know, uh, obviously to, to sit there and say, "Hey, is he the next Zach Wilson?" I think that's that's unfair to do because Zach is obviously in, his, in a league of his own, but um, Jaron is going to be extremely phenomenal. I don't think there's going to be much of a, a, a beat skip, uh, you know, this, this year. Do you think that all the quarterbacks who were in the program a year ago benefited from watching Zach be a football junkie, a film junkie, and realizing that there is one level where you're preparing, but if you really want to be excellent – you got to double down on that and go to a whole nother level. Did guys learn that watching him in a way that you can be told it, but it just doesn't sink in? Absolutely. I think obviously the big change, because I know, I know Jaron was mentally preparing for games as he was the starting quarterback. That's, there's no question about that. Jaron was ready every single week. He was putting that time in, right? He was putting that effort in. I think the biggest difference is, is, they got to see what Zach did, right, in a physical preparation. That's where the the set was kind of – that's where the mark was set, right? And now Jaron's saying, you know what, obviously Zach did a pretty smart thing by going to work with John Beck and taking his game to the next level. Um, I need to go and do that as well. And, and that was obviously, right, the biggest difference um, and kind of the biggest advantage that, that Jaron had and, and – you know, probably a huge reason for his success uh, during fall camp and ultimately getting the nod. So I think that's the biggest kind of takeaway from last year was what are you doing outside physically to prepare to make yourself not just an okay athletic quarterback, but a phenomenal quarterback all around. One of the more interesting things I think you just said is the team trusts him. How important is that? Oh, it's everything, right? It's, it's very hard. And not, there's no team in the country, I think, that is out there except maybe a Clemson, right, that has a quarterback that goes from being a top three pick to 
going to the second guy and everyone being like, yeah, we're not, we're not really, we're not skipping a beat. There isn't some level set different. Um, and so, you know, where a lot of guys can come in and say, Hey, this isn't, this is going to be rough, right? Everyone's walking around on tippy toes in the locker room saying, guys, like, remember, like we don't have Zach. Whereas today I know people are in that locker room saying, Hey, <laughs> this is Jaron's team and Jaron's ready to rock. And so, um, that's going to be a huge difference in carrying the momentum from last year and saying, Hey, all of this talk, all of this big 12 talk, all of this national spotlight and attention, right? Jaron's not just the person that's going to help us win games. Jaron's the one that's going to help us maintain the momentum that we have from last year. Dylan Cauley joining us, former BYU wide receiver. So with Jaron, I am nervous because I saw him get a couple concussions real quick and I didn't even mm-hmm. think he got hit that that much on the second one. Easy for me to say I wasn't the one getting hit. But as much as that worries me, I get confidence from the fact that he didn't play a year ago, and so I've read a bunch of stuff that, hey, the further you get between them, the better off you are. So I think that's a huge positive. Uh, I'm not a doctor, so I only know what I read you know, what I read and what I hear watching football and watching other players. I wasn't even pre-med on Friday nights at Arizona State like PK. <laughs> at least he's got some background. <laughs> What's your level of confidence in Jaron's ability to stay healthy and stay away from a concussion that's going to turn all of our stomachs? And yeah, that's 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 always that's always the question, right? And um, I think the biggest part of that ultimately is as weird as this might be, and as odd as this might be to bring it into sports, but it's going to be. I think it really just comes down to his faith, right? And and knowing that he's being watched out for and hopefully is, um, you know, mentally and physically prepared to take some hits um, because, you know, there are a lot of things that happen when, when you're not ready and, and you tighten up and your body tightens up and physically, you know, uh, if you're going around on your city toes and hopefully hoping not to get hit, that's when you leave yourself the most open for, for those types of injuries. Right. And so I think, as long as he stays confident, as long as he allows himself to take some hits, especially early on, right, I think we're better off in the long run in maintaining kind of his health and staying physical. If he goes out there and everyone's on eggshells about it, right, I think we're going to see a lot more opportunity in, in him being a lot more prone to, to getting hurt. But um, obviously the time has been huge. He's been taking care of his body. And it's a matter of, you know, just uh, going out there and still kind of going balls to the walls so that you're not uh, you're not playing tight and finding yourself in that situation where you're going to get injured, you know, just because mentally you're scared. So looking at this BYU offense, you know, they lost Dax Mill, and obviously he was a big-time receiver and Zach Wilson doing all the throwing. So you'd think that, wow. That's a lot of production. You lost offensive line, uh, at least one to the NFL, and you think that's a blow. And, and, you know, it is, obviously, no question about that. But I look at the number of guys returning and combined with the the Nakua brothers who transferred in as receivers. If I look at receiver, tight ends, and running backs, I believe that in terms of depth and talent, this is one of the better groups maybe in the history of BYU football returning what do you expect out of this offense? Yeah, I, a lot. Like, I, I think this this offense has the ability to do 
extremely special things against the schedule that they're going with. Um, you know, you look at you look at the depth, right, that you're talking about, and it is it is a lot of people who have produced a lot of, of statistics and a lot of success on the football field, all the way from top to bottom, right? From you know, Neil has been playing consistently. Gunner has been playing consistently. You know, the Nakua brothers have been playing consistently at a top, top level of visual and football. Um, and so, you know, there really isn't, you're not coming into this game with a wondering of, ooh, how's this person going to play? You know exactly how this person's going to play. You know how each person's going to play against the University of Arizona, right? Because there's a history to it, and they all have had experiences with, uh, with U of A. You look at the tight end. You look at Isaac, right, the success that he has, the confidence that he has, Dallin Holker. I mean, I don't think people understand. Dallin Holker and Isaac Rex have the opportunity, right, to be the best one-two punch uh, at tight end that BYU has had in probably 10 years since Dennis Pitt and Andrew George, right? Like, those are two tight ends that are playing, you know, one, extremely physical, extremely large in physical stature, but play at a receiver-type athletic ability, right? Like, that's unstoppable. You can't – it doesn't matter who you're playing. You can't defend both of those guys. Um, and then you top it off with, you know, uh, Peeney and Tyler Algier at running back. You know, for them, the biggest thing, that's my concern of health, right, is how can the running back stay healthy – how can we make sure that these two guys are given the opportunity to stay healthy? Um, because if they stay healthy, I think that's the health this year. Whereas last year it was obviously Zach. If Peeney and Tyler Algier stay stay healthy, I'm I'm not sure what defense is going to have a good opportunity to stop to stop BYU's offense. What do you know about the University of Arizona, or do you even want to know anything about that football team? Is game one just all about yourself and your own team and how they play? No. I think you have, you have two teams on two opposite ends of the spectrum, right? You have a team that garnered a ton of national attention last year, right, is riding this wave, is on this absolute train of, uh, of, of spotlight and success. And then you have a team who didn't win a single game last year in their conference and only played five games, right? And so you need to understand the other side of it. You need to know that, hey, guys, if BYU comes into this game and this game is close or this game is kind of uh, there are spots where it's like, you know, Arizona is playing extremely well and they play better than BYU, which is I highly doubt going to happen. Then it's honestly kind of like an eye-opening worry, right? <laughs> uh, because of the way Arizona has been the last few years and what they've kind of had to overcome now um, with with someone leaving and now Jed Fish coming in and really kind of pressing restart. You have two freshman quarterbacks who are going to be splitting time. Um, you know, with what is writing on this season for BYU – you better understand who they are, how they play, right? The mental side of, of their worries and their self-conscious attributes. 
uh, so that you can take full advantage. Because to be honest with you, this game this game should not be close. A lot of BYU kids on the roster are from Pac-12 territories, you being one of them. You're not on the roster, but obviously you grew up in California and you followed the Pac-10 slash 12 probably your whole life like we all have. Uh, how much extra fun do you think it's going to be playing five Pac-12 teams this season to where you can really compare yourself against a bunch of teams, uh, including from the South Division where the Utes are in? Yeah, I mean... Um... You know, there is it's exciting football, right? And there's a level of athleticism that we get to show that we can keep up with, um, and that BYU gets to kind of put themselves on a pedestal that says, "Hey, all the discussion that's gone on about being a Power Five, uh, you know, we're we're right up there." And I think outside of the University of Utah, right, we've done we've done pretty well against the Pac-12. Right? We find ourselves in a top spot in the Pac-12, especially the Pac-12 now. Um, and so, you know, this is this is real proving ground to take advantage of this type of opportunity and kind of prove out where, where BYU stands on a national level. All right, before University of Washington fans jump in and start saying stuff, we will uh, let you go, Dylan. We appreciate the time, as always, and we will talk to you every week, all season long, and PK will constantly come up and challenge you to say outrageous things because you're a colleague, and he would expect nothing less than definitive statements. (laughs) Done. I'm all for it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Excited to be with you guys. There's Dylan Colley, the former BYU wide receiver. Thanks to him, he'll be on every week all year long. So will Frank Dolce, the former Utah quarterback, who you heard earlier this hour. And if you miss any of these interviews, remember, everything's available at 1280thezone.com or wherever you get podcasts. When we return, what is trending? All the headlines, next.